0: Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Pastor Daryl Bentley, the Associate Ministerial Director and Evangelism Coordinator for the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Daryl. Well,
1: good morning, Saints. It's good to be the house of the Lord. What do you say? I want to just say, uh, as I'm getting started here, uh, a special thank you to Pastor Jermaine for the invitation to be able to come and share with you today. So it's always a privilege to visit a church, but then it's good to be invited back, amen? So uh, last time I was with you guys, we had protocols in place. I remembered I found out how healthy I was that morning. I got my temperature taken last fall, so thank you for checking on me then. But it's good to be back with you in a little bit different world, amen? I praise God for that. Pastor Jermaine told me that you guys are about to begin a journey through your sermons in talking about prayer, and I have the blessing of being able to kick that off with you today. So I'm very, very excited to be able to share with you from God's Word today about prayer. So that's going to be a little bit of our focus to try to get this figured out. What is the Bible telling us? Quick question for you. How many of you have children? All right. How many of you have ever been on a car trip or road trip with your children and you get that inevitable question, are we there yet? Right? And then three minutes later, because an eternity has passed, the child asks you yet again what? Are we there yet? And it seems like only moments again, over and over and over, developed a little saying that I would say to my children. I would say to them, all we lack is getting there. So I would try to get them tired of asking, but eventually, of course, still, are we there yet? And I wonder, I wonder how many of us in our Christian journey get a little weary of waiting on the Lord. I wonder how many of us, as we're walking through this journey of life with the Lord, we keep wanting to ask Him the question, are we there yet? Right, And maybe we get a little weary in that journey, and we become so annoyed with the journey that maybe we even get tired of hearing people say, Jesus is coming soon. Brother Gary, I had a church member come to me one time. Well, Actually, I was visiting with him in his home, and he was an elderly gentleman. And you know what he said to me? I was a brand new pastor, and he said, I am tired of people telling me Jesus is coming soon. That's what he said to me. It shocked me. Brand new preacher, I really didn't know what to say. So here's a good piece of advice for you. When you don't know what to say, ask somebody who has the answer. So I prayed in my heart. I said, Lord, I don't know what to say to this man. Please tell me what to say to him.
2: The Lord impressed upon me to ask him how old he was. He told me, 84. And I said, well, brother? I said, being 84... He might be coming
1: sooner for you than some of the rest of us. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, it really doesn't matter when Jesus comes. It matters, are you ready when he does come? That's the point, right? And in the grand scheme of eternity, what's 84 years? What's 84 years? What's 100 years in the grand scheme of eternity? I just turned 47 this year, so... The older I get, 60, 50, all those look a little bit closer, right? They don't look near as old as they used to. But I wonder today, are we asking God, are we there yet? Well, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we dive into the Word of God today. Let's ask for His guidance. Will you pray with me, please? Loving Father, I am so thankful that we have this powerful tool of communication that I never have to wonder if the battery's charged, I never have to wonder if I have signal. All I have to do is bow my head, bow my heart, and you are there ready to listen, ready to connect. The Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and able to take my prayer and present it before the throne of grace. Father, today as we bow our heads before you, I ask for your special outpouring of your Spirit. Father, I am reminded that without your help, I really have nothing of any value to share. So Father, please hide me behind the cross today. Please forgive me where I have failed you. Please cleanse my heart, my mind. Wash me clean in the blood of Christ. Anoint my lips that I might be able to share a word in due season for you, Father. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here with me. And I ask that you would give them the blessing that they need today, that you would strengthen them in their walk today, that you would challenge them in their spiritual walk. Father, when it's all said and done, may we have a deeper commitment with you because we've spent this time in your Word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would submit to you today that Elijah was a man who believed in answered prayer. How many of you would agree with that? Yes or no? Elijah was a man who believed in prayer. Elijah served the Lord many years, and he knew that the Lord could be trusted. Right? One of the things that I love about ministering besides those saints who have been in the church for a long time that have walked closely with the Lord, they've seen answers to prayer. They've seen miracles. I remember one time I was a literature evangelist in the Southern Union for the Carolina Conference. We went to a literature evangelist training, and the director of publishing for the Southern Union, he told us, as a literature evangelist, you will forget more miracles than most people experience. I thought, well, that's crazy. But then it turned out to be true. Day after day, I saw how the Lord was working and it drove me back to be a person of prayer. I had to depend on God. Share with you one little miracle. Back before the ubiquitous presence of these devices, right? You remember those days before everybody had a phone, and you used to have to use a payphone. Yeah, little phones over there. Well, as a literature evangelist, I often found myself mostly broke. It was definitely a work of faith. This particular day, I had a lead card, and I had the northwestern corner of North Carolina. I had 11 counties that I ministered in. And this card was about two counties away. I looked. I didn't have a lot of gas. I said, Lord, I'm going to call these people, see if they're home before I drive over there. Do you remember how much a phone
2: call used to be? 25 cents. I had 15. Fifteen. Fifteen. So I get my 15 cents
1: out, and in faith, I get out of the car, and I start walking towards the payphone. And I said, Lord, I need another 10 cents. I need to make this call so I don't drive needlessly across two counties. The Lord said, just keep walking. I've got my 15 cents. I'm kind of jingling it in my hand. I get over to the payphone, and I don't know why. Holy Spirit prompted me. I put my finger in the change slot, and guess what was lying in the change slot? 10 cents! Tell me we don't serve an awesome God. Ten cents. I had my 25 cents. I made the phone call. They didn't pick up, so I made 10 cents off the deal. Praise God. But I didn't waste my time driving. God answers prayer. Elijah was a man who knew that God answers prayer. I wonder today, are we a people that knows God answers prayer? Do we care enough to pray and ask him and then wait upon the Lord? Open your Bibles with me, please. I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Kings. and We're going to go to chapter 16.
2: Where are we headed, saints? 1 Kings, which chapter? 16. 1 Kings 16.
1: And I want you to go down with me, please, to verse 33. Elijah was a man of prayer, a one who believed in God, one who supported the things of God, promoted the things of God, but I want you to recognize what was happening with the leadership. 1 Kings 16.33, are you with me? It reads from the New King James Version, and it says, And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger, what's the rest of it say? Than all the kings. How would you like that for your testimony? You're more messed up than anybody that came before you. I think I would want to leave that off my resume. How about you? What's your claim to fame? I'm more messed up than anybody before me. But that's what the Bible tells us about Ahab. He was the type of man who should have been calling people to follow God, but yet he was pushing people farther and farther away from God. So go down with me now to chapter 17. Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be what? Do nor rain these years except at my word. The saints, I don't know about you, but this is one of the wettest summers that I can ever remember. Living here in Michigan. You say, well, pastor, how long have you lived here? Well, that's a good question. My wife and I are missionaries to the north. We've only been with you for 13 years. But I can tell you, in the 13 years I've been in Michigan, this is the wettest summer I can ever remember. Anybody else struggling to find that opportune time to mow your lawn? Right? You have this day set aside. I want to mow the grass, and it rains again. But imagine, imagine there not being a drop of rain. The grass is not wet with dew for three and a half years. Now We know it turned out to be three and a half years because of the scripture reading that Miss Jess read for us. Three and a half years, not any dew. Not any rain. No abundance. Well, of course we know how the story pans out. They go through this period of severe drought. Elijah is instructed to retire into the wilderness where he's fed by the ravens, right, who bring the food. He's there by the brook Cherith. Eventually the brook dries up, and what does the Lord tell him? Go on up, you'll find a widow in Zarephath, up there among the Sidonians. Go up there, she'll take care of you. Right, So we know that's where Elijah spent his time. But let's fast forward. It's coming time now for things to change. God's wanting to get their attention. Do you think at the end of three and a half years of drought that somebody is willing to try something different? Yeah, probably so. I'll be honest with you. Even just 15, 16 months of living in a pandemic, I was so happy to be able to go in public and not have to have this. Now listen, some people choose to still wear them, want to, whatever. I'm not against that. I'm not trying to put anybody down. But for me, if I could burn this right now, I'd love to. I hate them. I just don't like them, right? I don't appreciate it. I was ready for a change. I know many of you probably felt the same way. I want some normalcy back. I've heard it in your discussion this morning about Sabbath school. Man, it's so good to be back to have in-person Sabbath school. It's so good to get back to something that feels normal. Think about three and a half years of no rain. We had people raiding the shelves for toilet paper. I guarantee you, in three and a half years of no rain, people were desperate. You're right? They were desperate,
2: looking to get anything
1: they could, wanting something different. So Elijah tells them, We're going to do something, we're going to find out. Who's really in charge? Go with me now to 1 Kings chapter 18. Let's continue through the story. Not sharing anything new with you, right? We're just reviewing some of what we know about this story in the Bible. Elijah went to present, verse 2, Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. That's what the Lord instructed him in the previous verse. There was a severe famine in Samaria, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of the house. And it was Obadiah that was supposed to go out and meet him. Do you remember Obadiah's reaction? He goes out and he meets Elijah and he says, listen, go tell Ahab I'm going to be at such and such. What does Obadiah say? Listen, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? What have I done to you? I know that as soon as I go tell Ahab you're going to be over at such and such, you're going to disappear, and then the brother's going to kill me. Obadiah was concerned. No, no, no. The Lord's called me to do this. I'm going to be there. Well, of course, we know that eventually he gets together. Verse 11, he says, No, 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 no. Go and tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, right? The Lord's going to carry you off. No, 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 no. Notice what he says, verse 15. As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Brother, don't worry. I'm not lying to you. The Lord's not going to cause you to suffer loss. Just do what I've asked you to do. And then notice, verse 17. It happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said what to him, saints? What does Ahab say to him? Ahab calls him, is that you, oh what? Troubler of Israel. What do we live in a society today? Notice, who was the real troubler of Israel? It was Ahab. Why was Ahab the troubler of Israel? Was he drawing people towards God or away from God? He, as the kingly leader, was drawing people away from God. He was causing them to turn over to false gods. He had aligned himself through marital relations with Jezebel, with paganism. So notice the hypocrisy. We just talked about that in Sabbath school today, didn't we? Notice the hypocrisy. The man of God is the one accused of being the troubler when the real troubler was Ahab. Friends, we live in a society that does the same thing today. And I don't care what political stripe you may paint upon yourself. People try to corner me and they say, Preacher, are you a Democrat or a Republican? I'll say, well, don't curse me either way. I'm going to tell you. I don't put my faith in politicians. I have a firm belief if they've made it to that level, they're crooked somehow. I don't need that affiliation. I prefer my affiliation to be with the Lord. How about you? That's the only one I can trust, but we live in a society today that does the same thing. We cause all the trouble, and then I point my finger at somebody else. You're the troubler. Nothing's ever changed. But I love Elijah's response. Notice verse 18. I've not troubled Israel but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baal. So he proposes a challenge. Now therefore, verse 19, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You remember the story? They're gathered, right? He picked the highest, the most expensive sacrifice. He said, bring two bulls, pick one for yourselves, you guys prepare it on your altar, I'll take the other bull, that'll be the Lord's bull, I'll prepare it for the Lord, you present your offering, and I'll present my offering, and we'll see who answers. Oh, I love this story, right? And Elijah, he says, listen, why don't you boys go first? You guys go first. So they get out there, they prepare their stuff, and they start doing their dance. Right, They're whooping and hollering all day long. They're calling out to Baal. And I love that as Elijah sits there and watches all this unfold, he starts, well, he gets a little sarcastic. I love what he says to them. Let's look at it here. Verse 29, we're still in 1 Kings 18, verse 29. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one pay attention, right? All day long. They've been doing this. They've been jumping around, and Elijah asked them, cry a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation, right? Isn't that just absurd? My God can't answer because he's out of town. You ever sent one of your colleagues an email at work, and you get back that vacation reply, right? Sorry, I'm out of the office. Uh, That's essentially what Elijah is saying to him. Listen, Maybe he's just out of the office at the moment. Just just crawl a little louder. And I love what they start doing, right? Hope I don't scare anybody, offend anybody. I carry a pocket knife. I'm a country boy from North Carolina. But when those guys didn't start getting their first answer, what did they do? Start cutting themselves. Can you imagine in any realm of sanity that the way I'm going to get God's attention is now I'm going to harm myself? I'm going to open my flesh, let the blood pour forth. Maybe then I can get his attention. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God who's trivial? A God who has to be a pee, A God who's basically a grown child and throws his tantrums and we have to come along and calm him down. That's essentially the type of God that they served. So they prayed, they called out all day long, and they started saying... Basically the same things over and over. Hold your finger here in 1 Kings and go with me now to Matthew chapter 6.
2: Where are we headed? Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 6. This is
1: Jesus' prelude to the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not use what? Vain repetitions. As do who? The heathens, Those who do not know me. Those who serve pagan gods. Those who serve made-up gods. Don't use those vain repetitions. Why? Why did they do this? Notice the last part of his counsel. Why did they do it? for they think that they will be heard for their what? Their many words. In other words, I'm going to wear you down. You remember the story of Samson and Delilah? Now I have to wonder about how bright Samson was. Anybody else ever had that thought? You get her in there, she put new ropes around you, I mean, all these little things, right? And you keep waking up with guys coming in trying to overthrow you at what point do you say this woman's bad news? Is that a fair question, yes or no? This brother was crazy. I'm thinking the first time somebody came in to try to kidnap me and take me captive, I'm going to want somebody else. I can honestly say in 27 years of marriage, my wife has never tried to have me kidnapped. (laughs) Thank you, sweetheart. Praise God, amen. But the guy wasn't paying attention. He didn't get it right? Similarly, we see here that these many words are not availing them. Go back with me now to 1 Kings 18. Over and over, these vain repetitions are being up to a false god, to a made-up god, a god that did not exist. He was simply the figment of someone's imagination. Now, let's be honest. Do not all the false gods, the little g-gods of this world, do they not line up under the banner of Satan? What does Jesus say? You're either for me or you're against me, right? There's only two sides. And I've heard people say before, well, I'm kind of on the fence about God. Here's newsflash. The devil owns the fence. Get off the fence. (laughs) Devil owns the fence. Get off the fence. Because by not making a decision for God, you're automatically making a decision for the other team. There's only two ways. Elijah understood this. Those watching were confused. Their national leader, their political leader, was telling them, hey, follow this little G, this false guy. And all day long, they got to watch these guys dancing and hooping and hollering, cutting themselves. It says that the blood gushed forth. So they weren't using little acupuncture. They're cutting themselves to the point that they're
2: just a bloody mess. Zero response. Zero response. Well, we look at how the
1: story continues. Verse 30, 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So the people came near. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. These folks had not even conducted worship. They had fallen away so far they didn't care that the altar of God was broken down. He took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. I did a little calculation on that. You're basically talking 20 gallons. A trench that would hold 20 gallons of water. I can get my mind around gallons more than I can seahs. How about you? All right. So we're talking a pretty big trench. Something substantial here. He put the wood in order, verse 33 continues. He cut the bull in pieces. He laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. So we're talking about over 20 gallons of water dumped on an altar. Amazing. And then verse 36. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you were God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again.
2: And then Elijah spent the next 10 hours saying the same prayer. Is that what it says? See, listen, you guys don't know me very
1: well yet, right? I will quote to you the Bentley substandard version from time to time just to see if you're paying attention. How many times did he say the prayer before God responded? Once. What was God's response? Oh my, it's a fantastic response. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Saints, we're not talking about some little spark, right? We're not talking about even what he could have done with a blowtorch, a flamethrower. God responded in such a way that it not only consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the elements bearing up the sacrifice. Can you imagine that type of heat? How many of you have ever been out to one of those Japanese restaurants where they cook it in front of you? And the guy, as he's getting started, he tries to impress you with his little whatever, and then he lights that fire, and you're touching your eyebrows to see if they're still there. Right? These hibachi restaurants, I love going to those places. They're neat watching those guys. Imagine the intensity of that heat. Nothing compared to what God did. It was a heat so intense, a heat so consuming, a fire so pure that it took care of the entire situation. There was no question as to who was the real God. We see two methods of prayer on display here. Did you catch the first one? The first one, the first method of prayer, Jesus described it, we went and looked at it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. How did Jesus define the prayers of the heathen? Do not use two words, help me out, Gary. Vain repetition. Repetition, of course, means to repeat and to do over and over. Vain means that it avails me nothing. Right? So it's a repetition that gets you nowhere. Friends, let me ask you. Are there any religious systems in the world that use vain repetition and call themselves Christian? Aren't you glad we as Adventists are not susceptible to that? I had a friend of mine challenge me. He's a medical doctor, trained at Loma Linda University. Super, super nice guy, very sharp guy. We were talking about blessing over the food one time. And how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, it's a rhetorical question, so I'm not asking you to call yourself out, but how many times have you prayed over your food and asked the Lord, please use this food to give me strength and nourishment?
2: He asked me one time, my friend, He asked me, he said, what else is it supposed to do? I mean, think about it, right? Pray that you don't get food poisoning. Well, you need to be more careful where you're eating, right?
1: But his point was, I'm asking God to do something that he's already programmed the food to do. Why not ask God a little more, right? Why not go beyond what you've just heard someone else say? And he challenged me. And I'm going to tell you, I cannot say a prayer over food and ask the Lord, please use it for our nourishment because I hear my friend in my brain (laughs) asking me, well, what else is it supposed to do? (laughs) I'm worried about my sister here where she's eating. I'm going to pray for her. But I've had food poison. I know what you're talking about. But my point is this. Why do we accept getting trapped into just saying the same thing over and over to God? How many of you are familiar with
2: the verse Isaiah 118? Come now, let us reason together, says who? Sayeth
1: the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be like white wool. The very fact that the God of the universe says, I want to reason with you, asking you and me to be thinkers. He's asking us not to just fall into this same pattern. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Uh, And and just say the same thing over and over. Those of you that have children who have been wearied by their same questions, imagine the infinitely wise God of the universe hearing my pitiful, pathetic prayer with no variety over and over. Do you think that might wear on the Lord's nerves? Thank God He's of more mercy than I am, right? But Have your kids ever asked you the same question over and over, and what do you say to them? I've already answered that. Why do you keep asking
2: me? I'm not going to change my mind. Now, I'm not suggesting that we have to just be purely unique
1: and very different, incredibly different every time. I'm simply challenging you to ask yourself the question, Do you have thoughtful variety in how you converse with the God of the universe? Is that a fair question, yes or no? Because if all I do is have this rote prayer, this memorized prayer that I say over and over, and I never really think about what I'm saying, I don't think about what I'm asking, I just fall into that same trap of vain repetition. And how effective was that on Carmel? All they did was end up with a bunch of scars, and I could even step back. They didn't even end up with scars because they found the end of their life that day down at the brook. It led to death, and I would suggest to you that vain repetition in our prayer life leads to spiritual death. Is that fair, yes or no? So then how should
2: I pray? Well, let's go to our scripture reading. James chapter 5. Some of you may have been wondering. This brother did a scripture reading in James and he hadn't even touched on it. Just hold on, I'm getting there. Work with the brother. James chapter 5. Let's hone in on verse 16. Just give me a little amen when you're there. Let me know you're with me. If you need a little more time, say have mercy. We'll wait on you. I like to tell the saints I get paid by the month. I can stand here all day. Take your time. The point is, it's the
1: Lord's time, and I'm happy for him to have it. What do you say? All right, so here we are. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. All right, that sounds pretty good. But now notice this last part. The effective, and then what's the next word? Fervent. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Okay, so we have two descriptors. Okay? In the Greek, there's only one word. That's why some of your translations may render this just a little differently. Okay, But the word that's being used there in the Greek, now I want you to listen to this word. I'm not trying to impress you with my biblical language skills. There's a point. Catch the point. The Greek word that has been translated here is intergeo. Now I'm going to say it when it's not put it in the Greek, right? Energeo. If you were to look at the letters transliterated out, Energeo. Does that sound anything like one of our English words? Sounds just like energy. Guess what? One of the root words from which we get our word energy is the Greek word Energeo. Okay, there's also a Latin root and a French root, and they all basically sound the same. They look very closely to the same. But we're talking about something that has energy. Right? When you think of something being energized, does it sound weak to you, or does it sound like it's got life in it? Okay, so now here's the reason the translators get the two
2: words, effective and fervent. If something is done with energy, does it accomplish something? How many of you, again, I'm not here just to pick on kids today, how many times have you ever asked one of your children to do something and it wasn't done with much enthusiasm? Right? I remember my kids used to beg to use the lawnmower. Right?
1: Up until the time that they had to use the lawnmower on a regular basis. The fact that they had to use the lawnmower now took away the energy in wanting to use the lawnmower. Have you heard of that type of experience? Oh, it looks fun, Daddy. Can I do it? Oh, yeah, this is great fun. Get on out here. Daddy, this isn't very much fun. It's hot, and I'm getting all kind of stuff on me, right? That energy kind of dwells off, right? And then I remember my daughter, she had the perfect plan. She knew that I had just enough OCD that I could not stand the yard being mowed and sprigs of graft left all over the place. So I literally think she closed her eyes as she was making those rows, because I went out there, I checked on her. Oh, Daddy, is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. I don't want to do it. Well, I need you to do it. The boys rotate. It's your turn. I went out there, and I'm telling you, I promise it felt like she had blindfolded herself or closed her eyes. I couldn't stand it. She was taken off of mowing duty. My point is this. Mission accomplished. Listen, sometimes your kids are smarter than you. You just have to be humble enough to admit it, right? But we've got these two words that are being translated. Effective and fervent. If something is done with fervency, right? There's a passion there. There's an energy there. There's a commitment there. And if it's effective, right? It means that it's accomplishing that which I would hope that it would accomplish. But notice, there's not just those two descriptors. You do not have that power, you will not have that type of power in your prayer life unless the next key component comes in. Keep reading. It's the effective, fervent prayers of a lukewarm Christian. It's the
2: effective, fervent prayers of a backslidden Christian. It's the effective, fervent prayers of... Who? A righteous one. Saints, let me ask you a question. How much righteousness do you have in and of yourself? How does Isaiah describe mine and your righteousness? Filthy rag, Friends, I hope that we never forget that my righteousness is nothing. The only way
1: that you and I will have spiritual success is if I am living in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? What does Jesus tell us In Revelation chapter 3, he says, you look, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But I implore you, I beg you, to buy of me gold that's been tried in the fire. And then what's that next thing that he wants us to have? That white raiment of Christ's righteousness. Saints, if you and I will make a daily commitment to embrace the righteousness of Christ, to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need you, I need your strength, right? So in order to have that prayer life, I first have to make a decision by accepting Jesus that I want to be a righteous man or woman. Does that make sense, yes or no? And if I make that commitment, and then I stay true to spending time in prayer, and I appreciated what I heard in Sabbath school this morning. Is there a Sabbath school superintendent? Valerie told us this morning in Sabbath school during her remarks, that there was a pastor shared with her years ago the secret to spiritual success. And it's nothing new. It's nothing novel. It's the same old tried and true method. Spend time in prayer. Spend time studying the Word of God. And ask God to help you to be a witness everywhere you go. And saints, it comes back to that same thing. If you want to have a successful prayer life, guess what?
2: you got to spend time in prayer. And Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm busy. Show me someone who's not. The question is this. Are you busy doing the right thing?
1: Are you busy spending your time the way God would have you spend your time? Are you busy, have you prioritized? A few weeks ago, I was talking to my daughter. We've been blessed with three children. We have two boys, a girl in the middle. My daughter called me, and she was talking to me, and she was feeling a little frustrated. She said, Dad, I just don't feel like I'm getting things done. I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And she just she was rattled off all these things she wants to get done. And she said, you seem to get a lot of things done. How do you do
2: that? So it's very simple. It's a three-step process. I plan, I prioritize, and I execute. It's not rocket science.
1: If I want to accomplish a lot of things, I have to put those things that are most important first. And guess what happens? When you put spiritual things first, guess how many of the other pieces fall into place? It's amazing. It's amazing when you put God first, when you let Him have that special time, when you prioritize prayer, when you prioritize studying the Word of God, and you say, well, pastor, I don't know how to study. Ask somebody. How many of you believe that Pastor Jermaine would help you know how to do personal Bible study if you didn't know? Do you think your pastor would be willing to show you that? Of course he would. Of course he would. I'll tell you, one of the things that warms my heart the most as a pastor is when somebody comes to me and says, Hey, how do I have personal devotion in a way that's doable, that's sustainable? Can you give me some tips? I'm going to tell you, that blesses the pastor's heart so much because then I know I've got somebody who's trying to put Jesus first. And there's so
2: many ways you can do it. But let's assume
1: that maybe you need a fresh start. I don't know your spiritual condition. I don't know each one of you individually. I don't know where your spiritual walk is. I don't know how faithful you have been or have not been. And so you've got to be careful when you're saying that during a sermon because you'll say you've been faithful or how faithful you've not been, and somebody, why did he look at me when he said he wasn't being faithful, right? Listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know if
2: you're messed up. I don't know if you're ready for translation. But let's just assume today, maybe you need a fresh start. And if the shoe fits, put it on. So here's what I would suggest for a fresh start. Make a commitment. That you're going to pray and spend that time with God at least two times a day.
1: Now, we talked in Sabbath school. I appreciated somebody brought up Daniel. How many times a day did Daniel pray? Three times. But then what are we told in Thessalonians? Pray without what? I don't know about you, but I actually have to go to work, have to show up, have to do some things, right? So I can't just be in my prayer closet all day. And that's not what we're being told. It's telling us be in a spirit of prayer all the time. That I'm communing with God. But let's just say, first time of the day,
2: I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer. Well, Pastor, you're setting the bar pretty low. Well, let me challenge you a little further. If you spend a little time, no, let me get back to, where's my phone? Maybe you keep this handy. Maybe you like to
1: write things out. I don't care how you do it. Either in your phone, on your notes app, or little notebook, little journal, but I want to encourage you to write down three headings. The first heading is praise. Write down some things for which you can praise God. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it was a miracle that happened. Maybe it was some blessing that you received that you didn't expect financially. Maybe it was a job promotion. The other day, somebody asked me, they said, well, congratulations, pastor, you got promoted. I said, no, I didn't. I was just given more responsibility. See, the church world works differently than the business world. In the business world, you get more responsibility, you get more money. Because of my cost and a living difference from Detroit to Lansing, I actually lost $125 a month to take my job. I don't care. It's God's money. It's His work. He will provide. Amen? But I've still got things for which I can praise God. So in that first header, write down reasons you can praise God. And I'm going to tell you, keep it handy throughout the day. Write down those blessings. Number one, if you're focusing on your blessings other than your problems, guess what that's going to do to your state of mental attitude? You ever been around people that all they focus on is the negative? Don't you just love being around those type of people? All they do is complain. You think to yourself, man, I can't wait to get back around them. No. You want to be around people who are uplifting. So make that header of praise. Number two, I would encourage you to make a list of people for whom you can pray. Again, I don't know the condition of your church family, but I guarantee you somebody here is suffering an illness. Somebody here suffered a loss. I got a phone call yesterday afternoon. The head elder at the Metro Church, he knows I haven't moved yet. He said, one of our members, he told me her name. She's in the hospital, she's in medical ICU, and she's become non-responsive. The family has requested that somebody come and anoint her. He said, I know you're not our pastor anymore. I didn't even let him finish. I said, of course I'll go. There's a need. You need help. Let's go do it. Let's go take care of her. All of us know people in our lives that we could be praying for. Amen? How many times, don't raise your hand, but how many times has somebody asked you to pray for them, and you said, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you and your family, and you never prayed for them? What if we got in the habit of when somebody asked us, hey, will you pray for my family? We actually wrote it down and prayed for them for at least a week. And then that third part. First, I'm praising God. That second header, I'm praying for others. And then lastly, pray for yourself. Pray for your family.
2: Pray for your own spiritual walk. How many of you believe that that would fill up 10 minutes? You see, I'm trying to be a little slick, Brother Gary. Because if you'll actually make the list and you actually
1: maintain the list, you can't get it done in 10 minutes. But if you will at least commit to 10 minutes of prayer in the morning, 10 minutes of prayer in the evening, and be consistent. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of somebody coming back into the church because a mother, a grandmother, a father, a brother, an uncle prayed for them for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years before they made a commitment to come back to Jesus. That's what we're talking about by effective and fervent prayer. Not that I'm just saying the same thing over and over, but I'm willing to come back and keep pressing the throne. Look at, if you would with me, back in James chapter 5. You see, on Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed one time and wonderful things happened. But that was not always the case for Elijah. We see it says, Elijah, verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. There's an important part that James leaves out. How many times did Elijah have to pray before rain showed up? Seven times. He went and he had his servant go out and look over the coast because he knew that the storm would blow in off of the coast. He prayed, and the servant came back and said, nope, don't see anything. He prayed again, go look again. He kept praying seven times. Elijah was willing to persist in prayer and let the Lord answer in his time. So my point is, is when Elijah prayed one time on Mount Carmel and wonderful things happened, it wasn't because Elijah always prayed one time for things. It's because Elijah was willing to pray as long as it took for the spiritual preparation to be in place. We could go back to the story when Elijah went to Zarephath. He meets the widow at the gate of the city. She's out there gathering sticks, and he says, hey, the Lord sent me. Go and make me a little cake of bread. I'm hungry. I'd love to help you, but I'm here gathering this wood to use up our last bit of flour, our last bit of oil, because I'm going to make a cake for me and my boy, and then we're going to die because we have nothing else. What did the Lord do to that flour and oil? He sustained it. But during the course of that, the widow's son died. She came to him and she said, Did the Lord send you here to kill my son? I don't know how it was Elijah's fault, but that's what she said. Elijah takes the boy up in his arms, goes to his room upstairs. He lays the boy on the bed. Scripture tells us that he had to lay over and pray over the body three times. Is God not powerful enough to heal the first time you pray? Sure He is. So why does God ask us to persist in prayer? Saints, I would submit to you that it's not because God wants us to beg Him or to plead with Him or to just try to appease Him. He's trying to teach us that anything great and powerful that happens in my life, it's not going to happen because I did it. It's only going to happen because He did it. And yes, God may respond with a one-time prayer when He decides to for His glory. But when it comes to developing mind and your characters, he may say, keep persisting. Keep persisting. Keep on keeping on. And I believe God will answer
2: in His time, in due season, as He chooses to do so. So today, as we close, where is your prayer life? Where is your prayer life? Is it strong? Or is it non-existent? Are you willing to make that commitment 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening?
1: Follow that simple little pattern. Ways I can praise God, others for whom I can pray, and reasons I need to be praying for myself. If you'll spend that committed time in prayer under the bloodstained banner of Christ, I believe you'll see some mountains move that you didn't think could be moved. And I don't know about you saints, but I would like to have an effective and fervent prayer life. How about you? Will you pray with me?
2: Dear Father God, I thank you that you were in the business of hearing and answering prayer.
1: And Lord, we know that you've sold us, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That you'll be with us all the way to the end of the age. Sometimes, Father, we get a little weary in the journey. We get a little bogged down. We lose our focus. We take our eyes off You. Sometimes we even don't even worry, are we there yet? We don't even care if we get there. So Father, I'm asking today if we might be in that worn down, wearied state, that You might breathe into our spiritual lives a newness. Give us a spiritual rebirth today. Forgive us where we have fallen. Forgive us for the times where we have not been faithful. And Lord, give us a desire to be faithful today. Help us to make a fresh commitment to you that we are willing to be a people of prayer. Father, I'm reminded of a passage that I've been blessed to read so many times from Steps to Christ, where you've told us through your servant that prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Not that it's necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive Him. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to Him. Lord, today we are praying because we desire to be brought up to You. Raise us out of this sin-sick world, this sin-stained world. Not that we forget those around us and fail to minister to them, but that we are no longer in love with this world, but with the world to come. Father, I thank You for this vehicle, this communication tool that we have known as prayer. May this congregation be a people of prayer. And may it not just be those vain ramblings asking you to do menial things, but calling out to the throne of grace boldly in the name of Jesus, asking that miracles would be worked in the lives of this church family. I thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer today. We offer it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
0: You have been listening to Pastor Darrell Bentley, the Associate Ministerial Director and Evangelism Coordinator for the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit a Seventh-day Adventist church this coming Sabbath? The congregation will enjoy sharing their worship service with you. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.